Hi, we're here at Toga in the Morning. I'm your co-host, Sasha Kramer. I'm your co-host, Grisha Kramer, and we are earballing the day away here. You you heard it here first, people, unless you didn't. Yeah, and if you're wondering what earballing means, it's what me and my brother do every time we record this podcast. <laughs> I have already forgotten what that meant. I said it ten seconds ago. Now it's just a weird, vaguely sexual term. Yep, and thanks to our sponsor, Jin, for my brother's memory disruptions over there. <laughs> it's, oh, she had some help. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think we're mostly just going to concentrate on a movie review this week and then s- see what road that takes us down. But yeah, wait, 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 watch this segue. Speaking okay. of things I, I can barely remember, let's <laughs> review the movie Point Break. <laughs> oh, man. Um, definitely when I asked what movie we were reviewing for this, Sasha sent me a text that said, Point Motherfucking Break. Which I think, once we're gonna, we're gonna not have a strangely esoteric name in this podcast, we'll probably just be named Point Fucking Break. Because, wow, this movie is special. Yeah, it's a great, for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's a, I want to say 1988 film? I it was it early 80s. I want to say 90s, but, is it really 80s? Isn't it? I mean, isn't it everything? <laughs> <Is> it... <laughs> All um, right. I don't know, man. Let's, just loop, let's loop in daddy internet on this shit. Quickly. Because, uh, We've yeah. done our research, guys. 1991? Yeah, we sure have. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I have the That sounds perfect. Well, I might call it 88 if I feel like it. Yeah, no, that feels right. But like all great 90s action movies, like the villain is by far the most compelling character. Like, oh yeah, I think that's one thing it really had going for it is it. I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if it was supposed to. Be, I mean, clearly there's a little bit of an anti-hero thing. He's supposed to be kind of a, you know, I want to say rum chum. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's supposed to grab your fancy. I feel like the hero, or the I guess the villain in the movie. But I'm gonna go ahead. Let's just call him the hero from now on out because Keanu Reeves is totally the villain in my mind. Um, well, cause he's just, he's just like ruining this guy's great life. Cause this guy is like, he is the quintessential, like essence of freedom. Just yeah. like bottled and then distilled. The only way he could be more free is if his entire body was tattooed with the American flag. Exactly. Um, and, and. Okay, that's, that's and, kind of floored me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and for those of you who are wondering, like, who is this guy? Like, how do I try and understand his character? He's played by Patrick Swayze. So I think that should pretty much tell you everything you need to know. And for the stuff you don't need to know, we'll, we'll tell you that about this movie. Yeah, we sure will. Can we talk about, like, the, the first scene? Because it's, uh... As soon as you remind me what it was, <laughs> we can talk the shit out of it. So it's Keanu Reeves shooting... Th- things on a on a very very rainy uh gun range oh yeah well a man does like paperwork in the pouring rain i don't remember the paperwork i do remember the gun shooting i will say that i watched point break i don't know two or three months ago which for mm-hmm. me means it has been almost completely wiped from my memory yeah <laughs> uh but i did watch the 2015 remake Point Break uh, last night, so you'll you'll be happy to, to know it opened with a shooting scene 
but unhappy to know there was no rain and much less no one doing paperwork in said rain. Well, that, that kind of makes sense because that was the first problem I had with the movie. I was like, okay, he's why is this gun range in the rain? Like, can't the police set up a gun range that's not in the rain? I feel like all their cardboard dummies are going to get like old and stinky and moldy really fast if your gun range is in the rain. And also, there's a man doing paperwork, like in pouring rain. Like, there's no way that paperwork is going to survive the scene. But Keanu Reeves is dramatically shooting um, cardboard cutouts in the rain. So here, I just came up with a crazy theory. Yeah. So uh, the the Patrick Swayze character, Bodie, yeah. named after Bodhisattva, uh, maybe he believes in reincarnation. And since he's such a free spirit, maybe his idea of hell is bureaucracy, like doing paperwork. And uh-huh. what's, what's, what's worse than bureaucracy in the rain? Like it's even worse than regular bureaucracy. So maybe it's some sort of time loop and Bodie has been reincarnated as the paperwork doing man as punishment for his bank robbing. That's powerful because I feel like this movie is all about the power of the water and the fact that the power of the water is destroying, yeah, paperwork, which, you know, as the character Bodie goes, that would be his ultimate enemy in this movie. Like, Keanu Reeves is basically just a henchman for paperwork. (laughs) accurate (laughs) and and if the movie begins with his soul just raining on paperwork i feel like that's a beautiful metaphor so so maybe i've misjudged this when i was like oh he's doing paperwork in the rain perhaps it's the most beautiful thing i've seen in film ever yeah it's you gotta learn to look beneath the surface this is a deep movie it's not just surface thrills and chills grisha okay well we're saying that, but then my next note is, Dear Lord, his name is Johnny Utah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it is in the remake, too. Although they say it's a nickname. So I don't know if that was in the original, or if they were just like, this name is too fucking stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. Well, because he is like a quarterback. So if his name is Johnny Utah and he's a quarterback, like that kind of makes a little more sense, but it's also still just as dumb. Yeah, I don't know. It would not surprise me at all if that was his... Like, if legally his birth certificate said Johnny Utah. Like, not Jonathan, but like Johnny Utah. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, my next note is Dr. Cox, exclamation mark. Yeah, he's all in it and also totally being Dr. Cox. <laughs> yep. You can see why, you know, he had clearly practiced that a lot ten years before Scrubs. <laughs> when they made him Dr. Cox, he was like, I'll play this character again. And I, I have some notes on his, he had this great fucking line, because like, he's just meeting the guy, and he's like, you know nothing. You know less than nothing. Even if you, even if you knew that you knew, knew nothing, that, then that'd be something. It's just like, what the fuck, like, Groucho Marx asshole wrote these lines? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great. I don't know, what is he, like, the FBI sergeant? He's the angry FBI sergeant. <laughs> the angry one. <laughs> yeah. Who says, no, no smoking and no drinking. Oh, man. Does he know who he's talking to? I don't know, but later there's definitely a scene where they're doing detective work and, like, eating Chinese food and, like, drinking whiskey straight from the bottle and smoking cigarettes in the office. So, like, (laughs) Dr. Cox is not as in charge of this office as he thinks he is. Ugh, Chinese food and straight whiskey? And cigarettes, Sasha. It was 1991. (laughs) Men were men back then. They were savages and they didn't give a fuck. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Yes, doctors from 1991 found that Chesterfields paired best with Chinese food and whiskey. 
1991? You sure? I don't know. When did this movie come out anyways? Uh, Okay. But, like, here's, here's the thing about this movie. It's like the villain is the most compelling character because he is the essence of freedom because not only is he a surfer, and this movie was clearly written by a person that loves surfer, or loves surfing. I feel like this movie may have been written by someone who, like, read about surfing once in a comic book. <laughs> yeah, but clearly, like, loved the idea of surfing. Fair enough. And the cinematography in this movie is actually, like, really fucking powerful. Like, anytime there's shots of waves doing things, like, you f- you feel that power of waves. Because I only tried to surf for one day, and my experience was just me falling off the surfboard and being the ocean's bitch but like in that situation you spin like 10 times underwater and you no idea which fucking way is up and like you come out of the water like once you figure out which way is up and you're really glad to be out of the water and then you get smacked by a wave again and i feel like the cinematography of the scenes where they were surfing was like really capturing that power because because like people that worked on this film were all about surfing and smoking weed yeah i mean i've got a couple things to say to that number one that's that's cute about your first experience with surfing. I mean, my first experience with surfing was mostly standing on the board, but hey, what do I know? Also, uh, read the cinematography. <laughs> I love the astonished look on your face. I'm not even lying. I mean, I, I totally would to seem cool, but <laughs> it's, 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 I'm not. Oh, so the cinematography. You, I was shocked, although maybe I shouldn't have, because I, to- I definitely enjoyed this movie, but do you know who directed it? No, but they're probably super talented because the cinematography was really good. One Oscar-winning Catherine Bigelow. I think she won the Oscar, right? She did oh, shit. The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. And I was looking at her filmography, and there's like some neo-noir sci-fi movie she directed in the 90s that sounds cool as shit. Uh, Fuck yeah, because like hats off to her because like the cinematography was like like you felt the power of the waves. Like, the scenes where the FBI is raiding things, they had that whole shaking hand making you anxious. Like, everything about the way it was filmed, like, complemented what was going on really beautifully. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part with those, like, other douchebags. Yeah, and he shows up late to his own raid. That was so bad. Wasn't he, like, having sex or something? He was, like, totally having sex, and he wakes up, and he's, like, laughing. He's like, I'm so late. Oh, smooch, smooch. I'm so late. And then they're like, this asshole's late to his own raid. Which is, uh, frankly, probably pretty flagrant if you're an FBI agent. Like, Yeah, especially considering how it went down and all the guns and, you know, death. Yeah, it went really badly for Anthony Kiedis. Also, can we talk about how Anthony Kiedis is in this movie? Because, holy fucking shit, the lead singer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of the surfer douchebags uh, that is the henchman of the dude that beats up Keanu Reeves. Is that so? I yeah, did not okay. realize so there's this great scene where Keanu Reeves is, like, surfing on the wrong wave and, like, runs into this guy and the guy, like, punches him in the face and, like, cuts his cord, which is clearly some sort of, like, you know, surfer symbol for being like, fuck you, I cut your cord, you made nothing. And then sure. he, like, comes on the beach and, like, he's, like, taking a shower and then, like, that surfer shows up again with, like, two goons and fucking Anthony motherfucking Kiedis, Red Hot Chili Peppers man himself, um... You know, who's probably, like, they didn't let him speak very much, but if, if they did, he would probably be rhyming and speaking about L.A. and, and, and sexual positions he likes. <laughs> Can't give him too many lines. He just immediately starts freestyling about L.A. and or gibberish. Yeah. 
and he might say something like like a you got to keep the barnacles off your dick um, <laughs> i don't know about real, that <laughs> that's a real thing i heard anthony kiedis say in a 1984 documentary i saw about the red hot chili peppers well back when they were the... a very different band <laughs> i stand corrected yeah so and anthony kiedis like crushes it like he's really good he gets shot in the foot he screams like he's been shot in the foot like I don't know why he didn't get more acting roles. I have nothing to say to that. I'm just, I'm still shocked that he's acting at all. I I figured he would be a terrible actor. I figured I would notice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he wasn't in other movies, but it's probably (laughs) because he was like, this is, this is the performance that defined me and I don't want to try to touch this. Maybe, maybe he just like, you know, Maybe Flea was getting uppity. He's like, hey, you know what, Flea? It ain't that hard. Look, I'll go do it. And then, like, went and started a movie in an afternoon and then came back and was like, it wasn't that hard. Yeah. But Flea wasn't back to the future, so Flea's probably still lording that over him. As well he should. And he does that by playing the bass shirtless right in front of him. (laughs) It's the best way to lord something over anyone. I think that's the way Flea does everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shirtless playing the bass. (laughs) Uh, even when he back went back to college for music again. Oh Just yeah, in class with the bass shirtless all day long, rocking out. <laughs> well, I wouldn't. I mean, it's Flea. Okay, so I have another. I have another sort of question about this movie. Um, what the fuck is going on with the bricks in the goddamn pool? Because Gary Busey talks about it. Um, elaborate. So there's a scene where um, Keanu Reeves meets his partner, who's Gary Busey. And, like, Gary Busey is blindfolded and apparently about to jump in a pool to get bricks out of it, blindfolded, because that's some sort of weird FBI training hazing slash joke. He's like, I've been on the case 30 years. I still don't understand what the fuck getting bricks out of a pool blindfolded has to do with FBI work. And I'm like, yeah, man, I don't either. What the fuck is going on here? Why are they making old, like, people that have worked there forever get bricks out of a pool? And then he's blindfolded, so he's talking to Keanu Reeves. He's like, I gotta meet my new punks today. Some fucking punk-ass quarterback. And Keanu Reeves is like, Hi, I'm like your punk-ass quarterback <laughs> that you were talking about. Solid I'm Keanu Reeves partner. impression. <laughs> Thanks, bro. All right, I totally forgot about that moment, but the blindfolded thing brought it back. Yeah, uh, I, th- I thought yeah. maybe it was like, maybe he did something wrong, like fucked up in some kind of like, minor way and it's just like hey you idiot it's like a swear jar sort of thing i don't know i don't really remember that what if the bricks in the pool are you and i and there are hopes and dreams well grisha this whole movie obviously centers around a motif of water and it's you know it's power over us and our you know desire to how to tame it and to keep Mm -hmm. it inside a pool but really we can't tame the water and, and and every time we we, we, we touch it, it 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 is a, it is our master, and despite our attempts to gain mastery over it, either Shit. through surfing or putting bricks in the pool. So we're unpacking this. So what they're saying is living life as an FBI agent and working for the man is like going underwater blindfolded and extracting bricks from underwater where you might die, and there's no reason because you're extracting bricks like they're stackable stagnant square there's no reason to do it they're stackable fucking things yeah whereas surfing is a beautiful expression of interacting with nature but making nature serve you 
and your human need for thrills. No, Grisha. It's not about nature having control over you or you having control over nature. It's about being one with nature and eliminating the boundary between yourself and nature. Because, Grisha, when, when you're on a surfboard riding along, I know you don't understand this feeling, but just try and pretend. <laughs> when you're on a surfboard and you're riding along the waves, the surfboard does not exist. You do not exist. The ocean does not exist. It's all one, Grisha. And I'm sorry you couldn't take a part of that, that beautiful, singular, unique feeling. Oh, wow. And this episode, again, is brought to you by Spug Flakes and their sponsor, Sasha Kramer. They're all Take I away, eat. Sasha. <laughs> smug Flakes is all I eat every day, and it's helped me be this smug in most human interactions if I can handle it. I mean, manage it. Smug Flakes, you get them for free the first time you stand up on a surfboard. <laughs> yeah, maybe someday you'll get some. God, I'm, I'm waiting <laughs> so hard for the sweet taste of Smug Flakes in my mouth. Okay, so I gotta say um, that Gary Busey in this film, the FBI does not take him seriously enough. Because, frankly, he's, like, already cracked the case at the beginning of the movie, and everyone's just laughing at him. <laughs> surfers? <laughs> yeah, he's like, they're surfers, because of the tan line. And I'm like, that's some pretty solid detective work. But then the, the entire department's like, he thinks the bank robbers are surfers. <laughs> you know, maybe this... Again, I was about to say, maybe this movie was made in the 1950s, and that's like their sort of parochial attitude towards any sort of thing. They couldn't rob a bank. They're too busy surfing and sitting on the beach. And I don't even know what people's impressions of surfing. I don't know. Generally yeah. being layabouts. But I feel like one of the reasons the villain is the most compelling character in this movie is because he's a surfer slash bank robber. And like, as Americans, I think we're very much like the Spartans in that we like immortalize people that get away with something like we don't like criminals but we like criminals that get away with it and there's something romantic about bank robbers because we keep making movies about them and the idea of a person who's a surfer and a bank robber and his whole life is just like fucking i just like throw myself by robbing a bank and then getting away with it and then you know what i do after that i go fucking surf because i am winning at life Dude. and i'm everything you want to be if you want to be like totally free yeah, I will say that the reason we have movies about bank robbery, it's because that's the most, like, primal, childish, like, just free money, and I got it, and it's mine, and I'm just taking it, and it's all free, and it's all money. Look at all this yeah. money, and I can see it and touch it. And I had to, like, go through a car chase and stuff. Like, I definitely risked something to get this, but now I got it. Like, there's something to that. And it's interesting that, like, we as Americans have that, and that was something that the Spartans definitely had. Movies about bank robbing? Not movies about bank robbing, um, <laughs> but just sort of mythology. Flip, flip books? <laughs> no, but like the Spartan mythology, like when you were, I think, I believe it was at 16, the Lacedonians, or as most people call them, the Spartans. Um, you sure you don't have any smug flakes? <laughs> I think I just got some, brother. It might have been the Lacedonians. Oh, shit. I think I just lost what? <laughs> Nope, never mind. Spoke too soon. Yeah. <laughs> Look but, at you, you pompous asshole. <laughs> Ooh, I know the name of the thing. Oh, maybe I don't actually know the name. <laughs> like, Lord, I'm some made up, like, some wrong fact over me. Huh? It's not a wrong fact, it's a wrongly pronounced fact. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see about this. 
Anyways, continue. There's yeah, 16. You, can, you can check that up. Lacomedonians or Lacedonians? I'm 50% of the way there. <laughs> you're but, like, you're close. You're in the ballpark. Yeah, I'm in the ballpark. But, so what they... At, at 16, apparently the Spartans would be like, hey, you've been to this school where we teach you how to fight each other forever. Um, and now, for the next year and a half, um, you're going to go out in the woods and you're going to steal for a living. And if we catch you, we're going to kill you. But if you get back from all that stealing and you get away with it and we don't catch you, like, fuck yeah, come back. You're a Spartan now, bro. You know, and they had that whole myth about which they told as like a moral story about a young man who goes into a market and he steals a fox. I don't know why the fuck he's stealing the fox. Who is he stealing a fox from? <laughs> I don't know who he's stealing the fox for. I don't know why anyone wants a fox. What market is this? Oh yeah, foxes. Look, these are Greek moral stories. They're problematic in lots of ways. We're just going to have to assume that, you know, in Greece, having a fox was great. You know, maybe it was like they couldn't, they didn't know how to surf. So instead of surfing, they had foxes. Checks out. Don't try to unpack that. Anyways, moving on. Um, this young Spartan man who's, who's a pillar of Spartan society, he steals a fox. And he stuffs the fox in his toga, like you do. And we here on Toga in the morning, we know about stuffing things under our toga. It's the best way to steal a fox. Oh, yeah. Stuffing in your toga. So he stuffs the, the fox in his toga, and he's immediately stopped by the authorities as he's running away. And they're <laughs> questioning him. And they're like, hey, did you steal a fox? And he's like, I don't know anything about a fox. I don't even know why someone would steal a fox. Like, I'm not even into that. I'm square. I want to I wanna fish bricks out of the pool. But, like, the Greek metaphor for that. I don't want a fox. And then, as he's denying his crime to the last, he drops dead. Because, as he's been standing there denying his crime and not snitching, I think that's very important, the fox has been eating his guts the whole time and murdering him. But basically, the, the sort of Spartan takeaway was, like, basically, like, don't snitch. So, like, <laughs> let the fox eat your guts, but, like, God help you if you snitch on yourself. Because we want you to get away with this because we think that's cool. And I feel like Americans still feel the same way about bank robbers as Spartans yeah. felt about this fox thief. <laughs> I had so many thoughts go through my head while listening to that story. Lay <laughs> <laughs> um, some on me. Well, first of all, well, I, I just wanted to point out all the obvious inconsistencies with this ridiculously made-up fable. Because, A, yeah. like... How loose is this dude's toga that no one notices a fox, like, eating him? Or is he, like, doing some sleight of hand with, like, his, like, oh, I don't know, like, look at my muscles are pointing over there, like, doing a dance or something. He's like, no, this is my wiggly dance. I don't know anything about no foxes. I imagine it's a kind of, like, Chico Harper Marx kind of situation where he's, like, comically shielding the fox with something from moment to moment. Perhaps, you know cutting the pockets of the guy questioning him and tucking the fox in there momentarily before <laughs> tucking it back in his toga so I can eat his guts. <laughs> oh. And, like, the guts, he's got to be bleeding all over the goddamn place. Um, but he's not snitching. That's what's important here. <laughs> what is this? It's like, what's that red spot? It's just my period. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> he's probably just like, yeah, I got stabbed earlier. It doesn't hurt much. And the, the police officer's like, I can respect that nice also I, know, but I feel like does that not describe how americans feel about bank robbers in movies because it's like if you get away with it 
we love you. You're the fucking hero. You know? Like, you went and took the money. Yeah. And you didn't snitch. And I feel like there's something to that. And, like, the Spartans kind of had a bit of that same thing where they're like, we have the law, but if you could break the law and get away with it, we kind of think that's awesome. I will, uh, I, I would, I would think that we could do a scientific study and look at all the movies that have been made featuring bank robbers and then find out how many of them have gotten caught and then use that to determine what we actually do. Do we favor law and order or do we favor some ragamuffin surfer nobody deciding that he needs those 50 grands for his big wave surfing? Yeah, and I like the way, yeah, again, the villain, he's, Bodhi is the most compelling character in this movie, because he's just like, how's he spending this money? I'm fucking, like, skydiving, and, like, more surfing expeditions, like. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, talking about, I, I feel like most of the characters are reasonably compelling, and, and I'd like to touch on the, the love interest subplot for a bit, because it, it was, it was kind of funny. You mean Keanu Reeves and Bodhi? Uh, no, not that subplot with the lady. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Just because I just remember, like, so he uses the woman to infiltrate the gang, and so basically lies to her about being an orphan. <laughs> Which, yeah, he's guys, like, he totally gets her. <laughs> she's like, I don't want to hang out with you. And he's like, my parents are dead. <laughs> it's obvious, easy. And if you know any orphans, pretend to be an orphan, apparently they'll, your pants fly straight off. Anyways, yeah. later discovers that he's a cop and thus not an orphan. And mm-hmm. but like he had already fallen for her in the meantime, and so on the one hand I really felt for Keanu Reeves who was just trying to do his duty and then fell in love. But on the other hand, like what a shitbag moment. <laughs> Lied also, about being an orphan and then like, no, come on, like <laughs> uh, Also, if you're an undercover cop, I feel like you probably don't really have a badge on you. That like some lady might find in your pants the next morning. You know what I mean? Is that how it happened? Yeah, because she's definitely just like, like they make love, and then like in the morning, she's like, what's with this police badge? And he's like, oh, shit. That is really sloppy. Especially since you're being a surfer, where you like legit have to just leave your clothes unintended. Although yeah, on the other like hand, like having a cop badge is kind of just like, I'm doing, shut up. <laughs> I'm doing what I want. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I feel like that was probably a thing that would happen in a movie and not in real life. Like, yeah, we don't actually give undercover cops badges because someone might check their pockets at some point throughout the day. Yeah, it's... I don't know, how much stuff can you fit in the guy's pockets? Like, I guess in that cell phone. So, like, a wallet and maybe keys. But, like, a, a badge is going to take up a whole pocket, you know? You only got four. Yeah, and, like, I just... I don't know. Um, there's also another scene I want to talk about, just because I didn't understand it. There's a scene where someone's making a fire, and like they just show them like stabbing a fucking can of like fire starter, and then just like twisting the knife, and then like dumping that in a fireplace, <laughs> oh, yeah. and just like lighting that on fire. And I'm just like, bro, <laughs> like take the top off. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know it's really funny that I did not put together. Maybe this is totally unintentional, but in the remake, there's a scene where they like about to base jump off some mountain, and they like make a fire with like fucking spinny sticks and shit, like Quest for Fire style. Oh shit! Yeah, I was like, that's cool, but like, like I think making fire that way 
you need to sort of have specific, like, you need a specific fire-making stick and, like, a thing you're rubbing it into, and then, like... Yeah. You basically need to, like, have all these prepared materials, and if you're gonna have all that, just bring a fucking lighter. Like, it's just, it's, it's insane. It's not like you're actually, like, ripping something off a tree and just being like, whoosh! <laughs> That's interesting because it's, yeah, the exact opposite of what happens in this 1991 version where someone's stabbing a can of fire, of like fire starter fluid and just like dumping it in the fire and probably burning all the plastic. Yeah. And I think it's clearly some guy that's just like drinking by the fire. Also, like, how are their car batteries surviving if they're going to like put all their cars in a row and play football in front of them? I'm backing up here, but... There's a big scene where they play football. Yeah, no, like, I oh, I remember that part. That was, like, central to the movie. That's where they first, you know, meet, and then they first sort of, like, face off and respect each other as men and possibly lovers. Yeah, and there's some serious tackling. Oh, yeah. There's, Guys, there's definitely there's a lot of something... <laughs> yeah, there's something romantic about the relationship. I don't think it's... I don't think it's gay. I think it's just, like... It's very... It's like a... It's like a power bromance. There's power involved. Yeah. And like... I don't know that I totally agree with that assertion. I think it's pretty gay. It's pretty homoerotic. And that's totally cool. Yep, I guess it is gay. (laughs) (laughs) One guy does just jump out of a plane at some point just to hug on the other guy, so... Yeah, that was sweet. Yeah, that was that was uh so can we talk about that like first parachuting scene cuz like what the fuck is going on there? Like Bodie figures out that Keanu Reeves is in the FBI. So he's like, "We'll take him skydiving." And then kind of that's about it. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh. he, like they're sitting there, like, plummeting towards the earth, and it's not like Bodhi's going, like, is there anything you want to tell me? He's just like, we're fucking skydiving! Raw! God, I sort of remember that scene, but I can't remember if there was any point. Weren't they, like, doing it for a reason? Are you sure they knew he was an FBI agent at that point? They had found out he was an FBI agent at that point. But then, like, in many other scenes, there's kind of a lot of scenes where he's, like, gets a knock on the door, and, like, Bodhi's there, and he's like, hey... We're doing this crazy ass thing. And like at this point he's like, hey, we're jumping out of a plane right now. But like, it's like he, he knows he's an FBI agent, but like he doesn't make anything out of it. They just have this like in skydiving scene where they, they skydive for a really improbable amount of time and really open their parachutes way too fucking late. So here, let me bring you some knowledge from the remake and perhaps we can use some lessons more explicitly stated in the remake to to inform us about the 1991 film so in the remake at some point he reveals that oh yeah i knew you were the cop pretty much the whole time which seems (laughs) insane but but he's like i i was trying to save you he's trying to convert him to his extreme way of life grisha and that's why he takes him skydiving because he sees the potential in keanu reeves and he thinks maybe Maybe if I can just awaken it, maybe I can push past that barrier and we can sweetly put stuff in each other's butts. I think that that actually makes a whole lot of sense because to some extent he does do that. And like he is, 
above everything else, he's he's like trying to get his jollies off. That's let, what like Bodie's trying to do. Let me you tell know? you, in the remake, I was totally on his side. I was like, why are you sticking with the FBI? <laughs> it's like, oh, giant waste of time, and who even cares? <laughs> Go base jumping. <laughs> wow, shit. they might have informed that pretty well because, like, I definitely get the fact that Bodie is like he's. He represents, like, freedom, but to the... Taken to, like, a, a kind of stupid extreme. To the point where, like... You know how, like, they f- they completely fuck up that bank robbery at the end? Yeah. Like, assholes? Yeah. And it's just because Bodhi's like, Hey, guess what? We're going for the vault now. Well, also, there was cause... a guy with a gun, but... Yeah, that was kind of unfair. That seemed like that kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> um, Happens... Because, like, Bodhi does make that sort of decision of, like, hey, we're going for the vault and we're going to spend an extra 30 seconds here. But that's not really the mistake. The mistake is just that, like, at this moment there happens to be some dude that's, like, I'm going to fucking shoot six armed robbers by myself. And No, but you'll remember, and I was about to bring this up, <clears throat> he rather unfairly drafts a fat security guard into service. And I was like, that poor fucking security just, like, lay down and, like, don't, like... I get you. You don't want to get fucking shot for a shit job. Like, stay on the ground. And this fucking hero is like, "Come on, let's die together." And I'm pretty sure he does die, right? Yep. And 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 the security guard is muttering as the guy like draws his gun. He's like, "Please don't, please don't, please don't." It's real sad. It's real sad. And then the security guard dies. Which oh, does he? That is sad. Yeah, he gets shot. Oh, but not in real life, right? Hmm? He's still living on a farm. Yeah, he's still on a farm. He's <laughs> running around. It makes me so happy to think of that security guard running around with the other dogs. <laughs> dog surfing. <laughs> dog surfing. What the fuck were we talking about? The vault? The bankrupt. Yeah. What, what, what was so he point? goes for the vault. Because Bodie, like, he's he's robbed banks before. That's not enough at this point, you know? It's got to get more dangerous for him. You know? Like, he's got to keep upping the ante. That's why he opens his fucking chute so late in that skydiving scene. Like, for him, it's just, like, it's never enough. Like, there's got to be more and more and more adrenaline. But then his brother gets killed. Because he did that. And and then, like, f- for the rest of the movie, like, shit just goes real south. And... Yeah, well, he makes it out, you know. He makes it out. Got some money, right? Goes, Right where he told Keanu Reeves he was going to go. Hey, it's once in a lifetime. Those swells, man. And then there's the ending of the movie, which I I don't understand. What's not to understand? What? What? How do you not? All right, let's 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 walk through it. Yeah, walk me through it. Okay, so there's this once in a lifetime storm that generates these super waves that. Bodhi, as a surfer, naturally wants to surf all up, all up on top of. Yeah. Keanu Reeves, being a shrewd FBI detective, is all like, I'm going to use my analytical power brain to understand that the surfer wants to go where the surf wave bigs are. So he or goes he, there. Yeah. Sorry. we. we had he wants to do the thing he said to me earlier in the movie. Yeah, it's called deductive reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> um, Keanu Reeves is a master of it. <laughs> So, he goes there, he sees Bodhi, and he's like, hey, I got you, basically. And Bodhi, I don't remember exactly his reaction, but he's like, come on, let's go surf that wave. And Keanu Reeves is like, 
no, I got to take you in. And Bodhi's like, well, can I just like surf the wave and then you can take me in? And Keanu Reeves is like, nah, all right. Seems fair enough. And then Bodhi goes out there and he's going to surf the wave. But it's so big, Grisha, he's not going to make it. And he'd rather give his life surfing than to be caged for even a single second. Because he's so free. Got free okay. to make his choice. Exactly, and I get that. But if you're fucking Keanu Reeves, why are you gonna, like, draft fucking Interpol to run around with guns and capture this guy if you're just gonna let him surf the wave anyways and die? Like, and then he throws away his badge at the end. Like, why not throw the badge away and let the man you love escape and live his fucking life? Well, Grisha, because he's dedicated to the cause and he, he, he wants to bring him in. I mean, he doesn't want to hurt him, but... He, he, he's got a job to do, but when he's when he's on that beach with Bodhi, all the feelings come rushing back, and the power of the water, and he begins to understand that Bodhi was right, and he shouldn't have brought him to this point, but it's too late, the, the Interpol's already there waiting, and what can he, he can't just tell them to fuck off, I'm just gonna let this guy go, so his only choice is his compromise, is he's, he's gotta let Bodhi go in, in, in such a way that he's still fulfilling his duty. It's, it's a uh-huh. tough choice. He's, he's really pulled between two extremes. One extreme to... is way more extreme than the other extreme, which is really pretty pedestrian. But, but, like, why fulfill your duty and at the same time kill the man that you're clearly, clearly in love with? Well, I think he like, made a mistake. Just... And then once he got there, the, the animal magnetism of Patrick Swayze was too much. And I think that's an argument that we can all understand. But I mean, like, they've been through so much at this point. Like, why does he not understand? Like, he, like, literally corners him. Stop bounding on the table. <laughs> he corners him for his job because he's an FBI agent. And that's his duty to hunt him down. And then as soon as he catches him, kind of convinces him to commit suicide and then throws his badge away. Like, I'm over this. Like, how about throw your badge away three hours earlier and your lover gets Because he didn't have an epiphany three hours earlier. How is this difficult to understand? And he throws his badge away because he realizes what he's done. He realizes his mistake. Letting Bodhi go to surf is the only... It's like the nicest thing he can do at that point because he can't, he, can't, he can't even help him get out because there's just so many cops and helicopters and stuff. Can I, can I tell you, I don't know if this will make you feel any better, how that scene yeah. went in the remake, which is, oh God. it's pretty, it's pretty similar, but in like a, I don't know, I find it a slightly more entertaining way. Yeah. So same idea. Um, essentially, he's got to go surf some huge ass wave um, and he figures out the, where it's going to be. But instead of him being on a beach, it's like, I can't remember exactly what it is, but like for some reason he's like in a helicopter and then there's, like, one boat left out there. He's like, it's got to be him. So they, like, fly a helicopter over. And then he fast ropes down, looking almost exactly like Raiden. Sweet. Like, it was, yeah. And so, actually... Wait, did you say Raiden? I meant terrible. Yeah, so, actually, this is this is one thing I meant to bring up, in that there are some ways in which the remake completely flips the script. I guess we talked about one of them earlier with the fire making. is where yeah. they take the original movie and then completely invert it so that up is down. So in the remake, Johnny Utah is blonde and Bodie is brunette, which is a very, like, it's difficult to get a grasp on, and I'm not sure even after, you know, the entirety of the running time, I was able to fully understand what was happening, but, yeah. So when I say... Surfers are supposed to be blonde. That is clearly an abomination. 
Yeah. Well, anyways, he looks exactly like Raiden. <laughs> um, fast ropes from this chopper. And then, like, talks to this guy. Uh, talks to him, and he's like, I don't know, something similar. Like, I gotta bring you in. And Bodhi's like, but look at this goddamn wave. It's so big. And yeah. then, like, a similar thing happens. He's like, I guess I gotta go let him surf. But he doesn't, like, he, like, they, they have this talk. And Bodhi's like, no, I gotta surf. And he's like, all right. And then just, like, goes and gets back on the chopper. And then, like, just leaves. <laughs> it's like, you hired a whole fucking chopper just to go out there. Well, yeah, I think they like. He... I think they hang out and watch him surf, you know. But like, it's it's super weird that he like hires this chopper all the way out there, flies, gets down, and it's just like, never mind that criminal I you know told you about. It's we're just gonna hang out here and watch him surf to death. I don't know. It seemed yeah. way more contrived. Um, it's cool though. I mean, I don't know. That ending scene was like that was the most contrived part of the film for me. But it was a very silly film. I mean, a man. Do they do they do the him jumping out of a plane with no parachute? Because that was just goddamn stupid. No. Because the guy he, like Bodhi had jumped out like ten seconds before. Like I'm I've only skydived once. Um, I know you you think you're pretty cool because you've been on a surfboard, but ain't no rush like falling from a plane from twenty thousand feet. Yeah, they um, they did do um. No, they didn't do that specifically. They did a couple of skydiving stunts. One of which was where they skydived out of a plane and then, like, straight into one of those giant cave systems. And they didn't release their, like, shoots until they were actually inside the cave hole. Which was kind of cool. Um, and then they, they did one, like, super crazy wingsuit stunt that, like, was legit cool to watch, you know? It was like, this is just, like... <laughs> you guys, you guys, your stunt people are fucking awesome. This is an amazing wingsuit sequence. Okay. Um, I can... Yeah, that's, that's a good way to update it for 2015 or whatever, the Point Break remake. That 2015. Didn't make, yeah. <clears throat> Actually, didn't really make weird. It was like a joint German-Chinese production. Um, I don't know. Studio Babelsberg. Anyways, no, there was one thing I really... Oh, yeah. The, so, uh, so I said... I, I think I said earlier where it opens with... Uh, I guess I didn't actually say this, but there, there's a scene... It doesn't open with that shooting scene. There's a shooting scene right near the beginning, but like it opens with uh, Johnny Utah as a like motocross driver or whatever, or like doing motorcycles in the desert and stuff. Sweet, thank God he's still named Johnny Utah. Oh maybe. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna keep anything, <clears throat> keep that. And so it's like him and his friend, and they're like, "This is the most dangerous line that's ever been done. No one can do it." He's like, "I can't. I'm extreme enough." And so they, he does it, and his friend follows him, and it ends with this, like, ridiculous, like, jump over this, like, 6,000-foot gap and, like, land on, like, a basically, like, a tiny little mesa, like, I don't know, 20 feet by 20 feet. Yeah. And Johnny Utah does it and, like, skids his bike and is like, all right, I was pretty close to the lip, but I made it. And then his friend comes along and, like, makes the jump and then, like, skids, but, like, skids too far and, like, starts falling off the back of it. And there's this, like, like an absolutely stupid scene where, like, He's like he's like slipping off like his I'm making a hand motion that the podcast yeah. listeners can't see. But basically his like front wheel is like almost on, but it's a back wheel drive and he's like trying to gun the motor and it's like spinning and he's slowly slipping and then like Johnny Utah runs over and like and this is the part that fucking I can't stand. Like grabs the bike and this like fucking I mean they're not huge, but it's a goddamn motorcycle. Like and it's like trying to pull that up and he's like, gun it, man! And the guy's gunning it, but it doesn't work and then he falls to his death. And it was like Grab the person. Just, like, fucking let the bike fall. Who gives a shit? Like, yeah. Haven't you learned anything from any other movie ever? 
and then you know becomes distraught by that and then joins the FBI in a twist of the plot that makes literally no sense <laughs> and isn't really explained but it's okay mm-hmm. yeah and then they make him a thrill seeker in the beginning of the movie yeah well, that kind of yeah, and so he's like got a bit of a reputation, but he goes off with it. But he stops doing it for seven years, and you know, stuff. Yeah, and then it is like apparently at his FBI interview, they're like, "We see you have experience in crazy motocross shit." No, it's just a coincidence. They just you know, there's just like these, these these cases where these people are doing this stuff, and he's like, "I know who it could be: extreme poly athletes." <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's like, I'm the only one who can infiltrate them. And they're like, all right, fine. You've got tattoos. This checks out. Okay, so he is, uh, in, in the new film, he's both Gary Busey and Keanu Reeves. I guess so. And Raiden, apparently. Yeah, that was weird. I was kind of drunk at that point. Anyways, I will say that one of my own, well, uh, that's not even worth talking about. But what was I going to say? Now, all the extreme sports stumps are really cool. Like, they serve some big-ass waves and, like, actually found some huge ass waves to film on i was really impressed i was like that's kind of those can't happen every day there's a really cool snowboarding sequence uh snowboarding fuck yeah yeah they they branch out a bit the surfing is a major focus um i don't know i kind of like like i feel like it's a really interesting i like the the dynamic between the charismatic leader who is sort of like this guy is basically torn between two worlds his duty and you know, the side of him that wants to be an extreme sports dude and, and do yeah. the extremist sports. So they, they sort of reframe the story a bit more in that context. So these people are, the bad guys aren't robbing banks. What they're doing is they're trying to complete some like weird challenge set up by some Japanese guy. And it's like these eight ordeals you have to complete. They're trying to find the fourth hole? <laughs> no. Um... <laughs> They're playing dicks out, Sasha. Yeah. So they're basically just trying to do these really extreme stunts. And as part of it, they're like kind of Robin Hooding it. So there's one where they like, basically they like hijack, they like steal a bunch of money from a plane, but then just like dump it over the rainforest. So a bunch of poor people get it. And then they do the same thing with a bunch of diamonds. And it's a bunch of like, it's really weird. Like we give what we take. It doesn't make any sense, but like, let's do a cool stunt. And you're like, yeah, that's right. I don't really care anyways. I feel like dumping money over a jungle is a really irresponsible way to distribute it. Even if you want to like give it to the people in the jungle, it's like, they're going to have to be climbing up trees. Like they're going to be getting bug bites. Well, I'm being, you know, I don't know. It was set in Mexico. So I will refer to that as the jungle. There's some trees. I don't know the population density of that particular area, but I think it was relatively populated. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can buy that. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like they kind of made a lot of changes, but probably... A lot of the same spirit, I would say. I don't know. I, apparently it got fucking terrible reviews. Yeah. It was like legit not that bad. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel the whole premise of the whole fucking thing is just kind of dumb anyways. I don't know. It's like these extreme yeah. sports people and we've got to infiltrate them. And, like, there's, like, in the original and in the remake, it's both kind of a, like, the jump between in, like, out of the gang to in the gang happens, like, in a way, like, I don't think there's any way to make that transition really believable. But it doesn't really matter. Like, the point is, like, you make the transition and then you got that middle chunk of the movie that's, like, that sort of pulling apart that's, like, the actual interesting part. And it's, like, so what if it's a bit, like, I don't know, half-assed leading up to it? Fun premise, though. Like I said, yeah, like you were saying, where the bad guy is the interesting one. 
It's a cool thing. Yeah. And and I don't know, like, does he almost win in the end? I feel like he does. Almost. He doesn't go to make eighth because he gets all like, um, well, or was that his last one? I can't remember. No, man, I think he had like... But he starts that wave that's like all he ever wanted. You know, and he dies doing it. Like, Well, it's one of the eight things he wanted, but yeah, ideally. And clearly he's a man who wants a Viking death. You know? Yeah. He wants they're, to die sword in hand, so to speak. They're all pretty reckless, Grisha. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me, in my professional opinion... They act without great care for their own well-being. It's weird because there's like, it was from the era of like, you know, buddy cop movies and like, you know, like Lethal Weapon. And there's just like this weird fucking movie where like the villain is like a surfer whose villain powers are that he's like compelling the FBI agent who's investigating him to become a surfer. And, like, you know, at the end, Keanu Reeves, like, at some point, Bodhi asks him, like, right before they go, he's like, are you still surfing? Keanu's like, every day. <laughs> you will be thrilled to know that the remake keeps in that scene. Okay. You know the scene I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's even less believable in the remake, I have to say. It's like, that still, that makes even less sense. <laughs> so, here's my question, and... If I watch the remake, am I going to spend as much time as I did in the original shouting, KISS! KISS! at the screen? And whenever the two main characters are on stage, on the screen. I don't know. I feel like the new lead is slightly more interesting than Keanu Reeves, but the, the other guy, although it's actually, acting is not bad. But, uh, like, it is bad. You, you can measure up to Patrick Swayze. Like, that's a... Yeah. You know, no one wants to do that. That's why they've never remade Roadhouse. <laughs> I don't think I've actually seen that. What? What are you doing with your life? We um, could totally... Oh, oh well, I guess... I don't, sorry. I was going to say we'd do that next, but we don't need to go on a... <laughs> yeah. Dude, Roadhouse is the fucking shit. Like, okay. So Speaking good. of tangents, you so mentioned Raiden, and that's triggering me. Oh, I don't want to relitigate this, but all right. <laughs> Um, Ryan sucks. All right, moving on. <laughs> what are we moving on to? About time for a break. My drink is empty. All right. <laughs> Sounds good enough. We're going to take a patented toga in the morning drink break. What sound effects will I randomly insert this week? <laughs> Find out when I edit it. <laughs> All right, we're back here with toga in the morning. I'm your co-host, Sasha Kramer. Wait, are we back on yet? Yeah. Oh, sweet. We are live to your ear holes, straight through whatever Satanistic listening device you've cooked up in your mother's laboratory basement. Headphones, you dirty sinner. <laughs> yeah, take those off right now. <laughs> you, you know better, listeners. Yeah, go outside and pray. <laughs> you know better. All right, if you're still here, we know you're the real listeners. Good thing we got rid of those squares. Good, good trick, Grisha. <laughs> oh, man. So, I don't know if you've heard, but there's this amazing television show that is taking the nation by storm. Grisha, it's taking um, my heart by storm. It's taking our hearts, the nation, the world, the ocean. It's knocking it's down the gates. It's taking many things by storm. <laughs> Breaking yeah. and pillaging inside my ventricles. 
Exactly. And that is, of course, America's hottest new show, Street Pug DA, Attorney at Law. Um, and I, I I'm not sure why, but um, whoever makes Street Pug District Attorney just gave us like half an episode, maybe a whole episode. And they're just going to let us play it on the podcast because they're sponsoring us? I don't yeah. understand why. Well, I don't know that I should necessarily say this, but it, Grisha, it's a viral marketing technique. And the uh-huh. Street Pug segment that we played on the last week's episode that totally came out last week was just it, it hit. And I think it really contributed to the, the massive, massive numbers that Street Pug is pulling in. And so they figured, let's give it another shot, see if we can double our money. Yeah, I just got this email from executives at CBS just saying that's, that... Guys, that's the actual report. email address is executives at CBS.com. <laughs> yeah. It was from executives at CBS.com. They share. And, it just, and it, the subject line was, I feel a, a dull feeling in my brainstem. And then it was just a file of a fully completed episode of Street Pub District Attorney. So I don't know how that happened. Um, I don't know if like anyone on the show had anything to do with it. No, no, it's like a coincidence. It probably just happened, but we should be grateful for it. Okay. Um, cool. That's our yeah. fan leader, Bjork, by the way. Yeah. Um, and she has uh, kind of unspeakable powers that can't really seem to have no limit. Um, she might have something to do with this. Yeah, every time I try and speak about them, I get a sort of fuzzy mouth feeling that it doesn't, it doesn't work too good. You sure do. And we're so glad that this show is on, because Bjork is a star in this show. And that's, that's all Bjork ever wanted. Um, <laughs> and I get it from my music, but it's a little different to be on television. So this was a lot of fun for me. And um, I'd like to present this clip of, of Street Pug, District Attorney. Colin Bjork. <laughs> yeah, so um, let's go ahead and just... Um, Roll tape, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Street pug. Street pug. Crime. Hey, yo, dog. Who do you think you are? I knew from the minute I walked in the door that there was a crime in this building. Some sort of mystery, a Chinese mystery, that I had to solve. Yes, Street Pug, I have to say that I had the same impression upon walking into this building. I felt that surely there is a mystery contained within. There is a mystery always contained within everything we ever encounter. And the only way we'll ever find that mystery is if we look deep within ourselves. Street Pug, I could not have said it better myself. And if you watch all 19 hours of my feature films stitched together, you will find that indeed I have not, though I have been making attempts to. But enough about the depravity of the human condition and its endless search for nothingness in meaning. Let's, what, let's, what are we doing in this building? I believe we're looking for a private investigator. 
We were looking for a private investigator that wasn't as good as me. And that pretty much describes all of them, because I'm the best there ever was. Street Pug, District Attorney. Yes, in addition to your district attorney, you are also an accomplished investigator. I am aware of that. I spend a lot more street time on the street than any other district attorney. Honestly, more than a real district attorney would in anything other than a TV show. But don't question that. Yes, this is true. Your life shares many commonalities with the television program. See, but look here, there's a private investigator's office, but it appears to be completely deserted. I'd like to investigate her privates. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, it appears our search may come to a premature end, and there is no investigator, and then hence no mystery. So it turns out we went into this office of a private investigator, and there's nobody here. Hmm. Oh, why, hello. Are you the private investigators? I've come looking. I have a case for you. Yeah, whatever, dude. Yes, I share Street Pug's sentiment. I am o I'm I'm open to things. No, why? You'll love this. You see, I am the owner of many fine dining establishments. One of which is the Chinese restaurant over on Grand. I'm pretty sure I've solved this case. This motherfucker's guilty. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Hold on. I just found this very mysterious letter on the ground in my restaurant. And I, I hoped a private investigator could make sense of it. Yes, perhaps pass that to me. And I will read it, although, of course, reading is a, the lowest form of art. It has no narration and is thus inferior. So this letter, I will read it out in its entirety. It appears to be a telegram. Have a telegram in 2016? That's suspicious. Yes, it must only be used by criminals who wish to detect, to evade eavesdropping in electronic forms, and so use the highly secure telegram. Anyways, here goes. <laughs> Have the stuff. Stop. Meet me at the docks around 12.30pm Saturday night. I've got all this Chinese junk. Oh, Bring the cash. Stop. If I learned anything in detective school, I think that that may perhaps be a clue. <clears throat> yes, uh, more than a clue. It seems to be laying out everything in pretty not clear detail, but we've got a place, a time. It's even 
I mean, to me, it seems clear it's got to do with some black market Chinese heroin. Man, you know me and Herzog don't know nothing about no black market Chinese heroin. We don't know nothing about that. No, why I wouldn't think. So what is it? Will you take the case? I've taken every case I've ever seen, motherfucker. Yes, I see, I will forgive you for you do not know my friend here, Street Pug. But you see, the case was taken before you even walked in the door. Let's, shall we go check out these docks and see if perhaps there are more clues that we could ascertain? Let me get my fucking sleuthing sweater vest on. It's pink. Alright, I'm ready. I must admit, I cannot tell one pink vest from another pink vest. They are all the same to me. But then again, I do not see color. I only see the grays and blacks of human misery. Oh, don't worry. I got my lucky vest on, Werner. <laughs> then we are in good hands, indeed. Let's away. <laughs> Perhaps if we uh, make some inquiries at the local saloon, we might find some colorful characters or, or clues along the way. It, it seems to me that the clues would be more clearly down at the docks, like indicated in the only clue we have, but I am not a district attorney, so I will follow your lead, Street Pug. Well, um, it turns out there's a bar down by the docks, so we can just call this one a win-win, Werner. Hey, that's perfect. All right. Barkeep, you have a very creaky door. <laughs> oh, yes. The door is, uh, it was a special door from Iceland. And we brought it all the way from there. And I like all my, the parts of my house to see. So I live in a very creaky house. And when I'm trying to sleep at night, it's all like, and it sings songs to me. And that inspires me to write music. But anyways, what, what would you boys like to drink? What brings you down to the Dutch? Oh. We would like two whiskeys and two containers of Chinese takeout. Oh, so, Mr. Pug, you would like to have a, a double Chinese takeout and a double whiskey. I, I got to say, not very many manly men like that come in here and order double Chinese takeout food and double whiskey. You seem like a strong character that, uh, that most uh, men would aspire to be like. Yes, but do not be confused, for though he is very strong, he still has some very tender inner moments that make you think, wow, what a well-rounded character. It is almost as if he is a human being. Yeah, man. Like, I'm... Real well-rounded. <laughs> I'm more well-rounded than a pizza. That is very clever. It also proves that you are well-rounded. It is a good use of the human metaphor, a thing that people do to try and make sense of their 
unendingly confusing surroundings. Mm. That's very interesting. So, here is your whiskey and your Chinese foods. I'm also going to have a whiskey and a Chinese food. Shall we do it? So, in, in, in this part of the harbor, it's a tradition to do your whiskey like it's a tequila shot. So you take a, a mouthful of Chinese food, and then you drink your whiskey, and then you have another mouthful of Chinese food. It's like a tequila shot. Do we want to do one together, guys? I would like nothing more. <laughs> Living to the edge, bitch. Well, here goes. <laughs> All right, here we go. One, two, three. And then our heroes all fainted. Uh, what appears to have happened? I appeared, the last thing I remember, I was looking at my Chinese food and now I am looking at the ceiling and I appear to be lying on the floor. Yes, I am tied up as well. I don't know how this happened. I love Chinese food and wish they pair well together. Oh, man. I don't feel so good. I don't feel so good, Werner. Yes, it, uh, you do not sound so good. <laughs> you sound like you're from a different place. But I just... What seems to have... Has someone drugged us? I don't know. You you were the bartender at that place. Uh, what what's your name, friend? My name is Pjork. But I assure you, I did not drug you because I was drugged as well. Street punk. The logic lines up. She is also here, tied up. How would how would one even accomplish such a feat? Yes. So I don't know if there's any way to escape. Um, but do you guys hear footsteps? Yes, I certainly hear something. Who do you think that could be? I can say with fair certainty that it is, is not me, for I am tied down in this chair. As an attorney and, a, and an accomplished detective, I also don't know who it who it, who it is. We sh we won't know until we open the fucking door. Oh, sorry, that's my indigestion. <laughs> no, but I think I hear him opening the door. I don't know how you can hear that over the sound of street bugs. 80 decibel digestive system. <laughs> it is quite loud. I have never heard a pug make so much noise. Even when they bark, it doesn't sound quite as loud as that. Bjork, I have only just met you, but I can assure you, you have never met a pug such as this one. Part of me thinks that lightly. He has a certain je, je ne sais quoi about him. All right. Well, I, oh, I hear a door opening. What is that door?
Aha! It is I! The mastermind behind this crime. <laughs> I have been doing crime for a long time, and I uh, poisoned your Chinese food to make you fall asleep, and your whiskey. And Street Pug had enough of a dose that he should be dead, but he seems to be okay. I don't understand him. Yes, I'm not sure if you were listening before, but as you can see by the fact that he ordered two Chinese foods and two whiskeys, that he is more of a man than you. And this motherfucker forgot to totally tie my bones. Let me get him. You know, Street Pug, I bet he also forgot about Dre. I guess he did, because you really, like, tore his throat out real quick there, and he's very dead now. Um, we didn't even really give him time to confess the crime. I um, must confess, Street Hug, <laughs> for an attorney, you show a disturbing lack for the processes of law. <laughs> Sometime you know someone's guilty, and you gotta execute them yourselves. Now help me get rid of this body. Well, that checks out. As they say, the only true justice is street justice. You know that. When you mess with the street, the street always wins. Indeed. Wow. That, that was a cute lie. So, um, here's what I don't understand. Um, did this guy commit a crime or something? I know that he poisoned us. Um, I'm not sure we sort of executed him. Um, as long as there's no witnesses, though, I mean, we can just dump him in the harbor. That's the nice part about being in a bar by the harbor. Yes, I agree. Now that we all appear to be accomplices in Street Bug's heinous murder, we should, we should just go all in. But hey, wait, guys, let me just start filming it, and then it will just be art and no longer a crime. I got you back, Werner. You've known that for a long, long time. Yeah. You've known that since the last episode. Clearly, I've done this before. <laughs> All right, we got the body. Let's just heave it into the dock. I mean, not the docks. The, what's under the... You know what I'm saying. The water. Here we go. <laughs> Sploosh. <laughs> well, this is going real well. This is just like when you convinced all those people that that man actually wanted to hang out with bears instead of the fact that he actually had, a, you know, evidence against us. Yes, that was a really circumtuitous plot, was it not? But it totally worked and also was a box office smash. You know, I feel like I wanted to fight crime, but now I feel like we're just doing crime. I'm not sure if this is like what I signed up for, but I got to be honest, I kind of love it. You know, it's, this this crime has given me a thrill. Do you guys want to go skydiving? Yuck, what you do not know because you are only recently acquainted with Street Pug and I is that we have a daily 3 p.m. appointment at the skydiving ranch where we go every day to test the limits of our humanity. You know that's right, motherfucker. We're gonna test our cocaine tolerance limits today, baby. 
<laughs> Please, street pug. <laughs> I can only do so much coke in one lifetime. <laughs> Verna, you know the evidence locker's been filling up lately, and you know street pug's got the keys, baby. Yes, I think it is very comical how you replace all the cocaine with flour. <laughs> it's the perfect crime. Well, this is beautiful. I feel like this district attorney might be perpetuating more crimes than he's solving. Or perhaps that's a plot for him to ultimately solve more crimes later. I think... But either way, we should go skydiving. I think one day I may take the plot of this, go back in time, and loosely remake it as Bell Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans. For the character of Street Pug, I will cast Nicolas Cage. Good point. I hear what you're saying. Good point, Street Pug. But I will say he's actually a pretty good actor. You may be surprised. Of course. Bjork has seen adaptation. She knows Nic Nicolas Cage can act. Yes, thank you. So are we going to call this mystery solved? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we certainly know who's guilty. <laughs> and we seem to have cleaned up all the evidence. <laughs> um, I think we could call this mystery solved. Although, that man we met at the beginning of the episode is probably guilty of something. So we should probably pin it on him. Uh, yes, I agree, Street Pug. I think what you should do, perhaps off camera to save some time and budget is to plant some of that stolen cocaine from the evidence locker on him. What do you think I was doing when he was meeting us and signing up, us up for the case, baby? Oh, street pug, as always, you are streets ahead. I know, and I got his watch too, motherfucker. <laughs> you, can, you can take the pug out of the street, but it seems you cannot take the street out of the pug. All right. Well, man, that show has just taken a strange Breaking Bad style turn for. Uh, it's, you know, it's almost you know, Grisha, a when, when the blurb said "never ending thrill ride," I thought it was just a turn of phrase. But look at me; I'm all of my hairs are erect. Yeah, I I feel like you know I knew he was on the side of justice, but I didn't know he was going to be on both sides of justice. I didn't think the concept of justice was that complicated, but now I see it's deeply entwined with, uh, you know, our human characters, and I think that they're really going to get into that in further episodes. I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. It's almost as though the thrill of solving crimes was not enough for him, so it's as though he had to turn to crime so that he could try to solve those crimes, because only he was the perfect adversary for himself. Yeah, and I don't think we should we we would go remiss without without saying uh, star turn by Bian Bian leader Bjork. <laughs> Bjork, do you prefer yeah. to be called a band leader or a band leader <laughs> with a J? Um, so so in Iceland, uh, band has has a J. So yes, I, I I would love to be referred to as a band leader. Yeah, that's good. That's good to know. I'm glad I <laughs> totally knew that about Icelandic culture. I find acting to be a, a very entertaining pursuit while I am plotting the downfall of humankind and planning their slavery.
Okay. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> um, anyways, it's been a great week here. Uh, I've been Sasha Kramer. This is Toga in the Morning. And I'm Grisha Kramer. We're here for Toga in the Morning. Uh, thanks for listening. Keep your togas on and keep Bjorken strong.